seconds of air. <sighs> All right. Oh, someone's walking by. Oh my gosh, I feel so uncomfortable. Hey guys, what's up? It's me, Gracie. I'm being brought to you today inside of my car. <laughs> Typically, I record in one of my best friend's closets, but today I am just so darn busy, I don't have enough time to do that. And I hear a faint, constant noise. <sighs> oh well, this is just gonna have to work because it's been a big, busy week. If you saw my Twitter account, which is It's Not Gravy, then you probably noticed that I talked about how I'm going to be posting a day later than usual, and that's because this week has been just crazy. And last week was also crazy, so I was basically just put behind an entire day for this entire production that I'm doing here, but I'm here now, I'm present, and I'm ready to talk about some murders. This murder is kind of interesting. I am, of course, doing a cult, which I am dedicating to my friend Jasmine. So this murder, of course, there's like murder, which is a big trigger warning. And of course, there's some disembowelment. But like, other than that, it's really just kind of just sad. Like, I'll get more into it in a minute. But there, this one really isn't super grueling and upsetting like a few of my other ones have been. Let's get this started. Today, a lot of my info is coming from a website called Carisable. It is also coming from a documentary from ID, which is called Serial Killers, Children of Thunder, which was actually super annoying to me because I guess since I watched it on YouTube, the way that they had it kind of set up is they did the entire thing and then they restarted the beginning of it, I guess for like copyright reasons. So I didn't know that. So I was watching it and I was like, man, this all looks really familiar. And then I realized I've already watched that part. So it wasted a little bit of my time, but it's fine. And then I actually also use another podcast to research for my podcast. I know, shut up. It was the Children of Thunder podcast episode of Pretty Scary, which is a new podcast that I've been listening to a lot of. Um, I didn't take all of the information that I learned from there, but just like some little fluff pieces here and there. Also about the story, uh, in the story, the two bad dudes are brothers. So their last names are both Helsner. And typically, if you've noticed in my podcast, I use their last names just so it's easier and it's not too confusing. But this one is going to be a little different. I'm going to be calling both of the brothers by their first names as opposed to their last names. And then also, some people have their stories by one of the main bad guys. His name is Glenn Taylor Helsner. Some people call him Glenn and some people call him Taylor. I'm just going to call him Glenn for the purpose of easiness. And now we are off. Glenn Taylor Heisner was born on July 26, 1970, to mother Karma Helsner and father Gary Helsner. I'm really gonna try, this name's confusing to me for some weird reason, it gets like caught on my tongue, but I'm gonna try and do it, but. He did have one younger sister named Heather, who really isn't like a super key player in the story, but his younger brother, Justin, is a big, big deal for the story. Uh, but just that's just kind of like a little bit of background. Uh, Glenn started actually seeing and hearing things at the age of 14, but because he grew up in a Mormon household where this was like kind of 
a hoped for thing like his family was super supportive of him seeing things they thought that it meant he was a prophet they just really kind of admired him for being able to see things and because of that he was actually in his family known as like the spiritual leader of his family meaning that his brother and his father lived in his spiritual shadow which was also kind of pushed upon him by his mother's protectiveness and confidence in her son's abilities because of this his entire life was spent just being a Jesus guy. Wait, not Jesus guy. Do Mormons believe in Jesus? Ooh, I don't actually know. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say God. Ooh, my bad. Um, but she believed that he could actually talk to God. So he lived his, his entire life kind of just being a real godly guy, talking about God stuff and of course seeing things, which is totally normal and everyone can do that. But because of that, instead of doing a two-year Mormon mission with someone like most Mormons do, or at least that's what I was told in the Book of Mormon musical, he was actually sent to Brazil by himself. And that was kind of his first exposure to drugs and alcohol and prostitution. And that trip actually was kind of a big stepping stone into what he ended up doing. So he came back and he became a stockbroker for Morgan Stanley Dean Ryder, Whiter. Witter, shitter, <laughs> until 1998 when he actually faked a bipolar disorder and got onto disability leave. But I will bring up that part again later, so tuck that away. He also married a woman named Anne in April 1993, had two kids with her, and then they separated June 1996. That's whenever he moved in with his younger brother, Justin Helsner, who idolized his older bro and was a true like younger sibling in the ways that when they're younger, the younger siblings typically follow around the older one and, you know, want to hang out with them all the time and like, oh, someone just walked by and stared at me. Um, but whenever, since most kids kind of grow out of that phase, Justin never did actually. At the end of the line, he still believed in his brother. So now we arrive in 1998 when he decided that he should be more in charge of not just the Mormon church he went to, but of all Mormon churches ever. Combined with this and some recreational drug abuse, his sister noticed was like, ah, what the hell? And she actually wrote a letter to the deacon of their church who was like, the head god talker dude i'm not mormon i believe that's right i i'm sure it's right but anyways glenn was kicked out of the church that's the long and short of it around this time he started to spiral down with drugs alcohol addictions and experimenting with prostitution when eventually he ran into a gorgeous girl named carrie mendoza and the two took up a relationship she described him as being a very caring and nice guy, but also, whoa, he was a little crazy. However, she was so manipulative by him that she just kind of followed him blindly, which was a trend in his life. That's essentially what he convinced everyone to do with him always. She actually helped Glenn fake the bipolar diagnosis, which I talked about earlier, and that kind of helped him get some more money. Uh, I watched the documentary. It was actually very interesting. He put peanut butter in his hair and, like, didn't, like, take a shower for a few days to try and make his appearance look more frazzled so that they would mark him as bipolar, which is interesting. He's a weird dude. Um, along with this money, Glenn asked Carrie Mendoza to help him actually start his escort service that was for wealthy men who wanted to socialize with beautiful women, but it never actually materialized. He also described how he wanted to import girls from Brazil and even drove with Carrie to go get some 
Rifenol in Mexico, which is the date rape drug. I can't say the real name of it. I'm so sorry. And after pushing her to get a boob job, Glenn was like, hey, you should apply for Playboy. Yeah, that's right. We got another one. But instead of but instead of actually going down that route with Glenn, after Carrie tried to kill herself to get out of the relationship, which had become super torturous to be in, Glenn broke up with her and sent her a home. And then she became a Playboy model without him. Haha, <laughs> suck it, Glenn. A guy just passed me. Okay, his headphones in. So all this time, he kept up the delusion that he spoke with God and angels on the daily and also became a big believer in impact trainings, which were intense programs founded on experimental group exercises. The groups tear each other down with humiliation and emotional pain in sessions meant to awaken their inner child. From the Carousable website, someone's pointing next to me. Um, so what happened in the groups where overweight women were sometimes dressed as cows, victims of child abuse were told they seduce their abusers and are responsible for their own abuse, and after a person shares their deepest vulnerabilities, the group shouts insults at them. Uh, they're given degrading labels such as dirty slut, and that is the name that is, they are required to use throughout the entire workshop. So this was not a good thing to go through, uh, and Glenn forced almost everyone that he knew to go through it. And they, of course, listened to him since he was such a great manipulator. And now we're actually getting into the... I need to I need to let my eyes breathe for a second. Ugh, this is hard. Making the podcast is not easy, my guys. Like, straight up, this takes, like, a lot of work. But I'm happy about it. I'm going to be positive about it. I'm good. I'm happy. I'm good. I'm happy. Okay. I'm going to... Okay. So let's let's continue with this with this fun story. So now we get to the cult part. We, I'm going to introduce a woman named Dawn Goodman, who at the time that she met Glenn was going through a really rough divorce. They met at a Mormon church murder theater party, which is a sentence I never thought I would say, and Dawn was ecstatic to meet Glenn. It's really hard for me to like properly portray how crazy he is without like showing y'all videos and just being like dude this guy was nuts because everyone had something good to say about him which is super weird and even carrie who was abused by him still described him as being loving who had a thrill for life and so do we all know that he's a crazy and manipulative man yes there's proof to back that up but people like dawn makes that hard to do i have to put on some air for like two seconds Oh my gosh. <sighs> okay, I'm back from my my air break. <laughs> so people like Dawn made it kind of hard to believe that this man really was insane. She even said that Glenn would make you feel like you're the most important person in the world. Which for Dawn, who was medium to overweight build and was also going through a really emotional divorce, this made her very open to being manipulated by Glenn. Uh, and then also, of course, she was forced to go to impact trainings. So by this time that she got out, she was essentially just, like, infatuated with this man. She believed him so much that uh, she shared the story of whenever Glenn told her he was a religious prophet, which was... This is this is the quote. Don sat with Glenn in his car outside the Oakland Mormon temple listening to his plans for Christ's return. He made her feel like a child in its parents' arms. As Glenn ordered her to kill in God's name, she said guardian angels encircled her. She considered it a blessing. 
which is just like, whoa. <laughs> so one thing interesting about the cult, however, and honestly, I will only vaguely call it a cult as since they called it a cult, but Glenn didn't do shit. Like typically cult members will actively alienate, manipulate, and abuse members into fitting into their will, but Glenn just sent them to someone else to do that for him. So not only was he a murdering crazy cult leader, but he was also lazy. It was three members of the cult. The leader, Glenn Taylor Helsner, the brother, Justin Helsner, and the Carrie replacement, Don. They began to call themselves the Children of Thunder and believed that Glenn was a religious warrior who was going to bring on the second coming. He wasn't just going to prophesy the second coming, but he was actually going to begin the second coming. He believed that it was his right as a Mormon to decide whenever that happened, which is just a whole bag of crazy. However, in order to, you know, bring on the second coming, you have to have some coin. So they hatched a plan to kind of extort some of Glenn's old customers for his stalker broker work and get, you know, kill them for Jesus so that they could have money to fund their crazy cult plans. At first, their intended first victims weren't actually at home. So these crazy some bitches just moved down the list. Like they had like a list of people to like attack. And they were like, ah, oh, they're not here. Oh, let's go over to the Steinmans. On July 30th, 2000, the Children of Thunder abducted former client Ivan Steinman, who was 85, and his wife Annette Steinman, who was 78. After forcing them to sign over checks for $100,000. The couple were beaten, stabbed, decapitated, and dismembered on August 2nd. And Glenn had Justin do most of it because he said he needed to meditate and converse with the spirits. Yeah, I told you Glenn was super lazy, but he wanted to be a leader. You can't be a leader and also be lazy, Glenn. You have to be a person. Whatever. Because they couldn't go in and cash the checks themselves because it would raise suspicion, Glenn enlisted the help of a woman that he knew named Selena Bishop. She was 22 and was actually the daughter of blues musician Elvin Bishop. They had her cash the checks the Steinmans made. And afterwards, Glenn got her to come over, and when she laid down under the promise of a massage from Glenn, Justin came out and bashed her head in with a hammer. Glenn made Dawn look at the body and say, the spirit says, you get to know this isn't a dream. <sighs> We're gonna move on from that. The next morning, Glenn had one more loose end to tie up. And that was because one day while Glenn was over at Selena's place, her mom stopped by unannounced and saw Glenn's face. To prevent him from being recognized by anyone, Glenn took Dawn to Jennifer Valerian, who was 45's house, and shot her and her boyfriend, Justin Gamble, who was 54, with a gun that was written up in Justin's name. Dawn then drove the getaway car, and the two hightailed it out of there. The bodies were dismembered, and Selena's tattoo was cut off and fed to the brothers Rottweiler. The five bodies were then put into multiple trash bags and disposed of in different locations. However, they were caught very quickly after connecting the five killings together, and the Children of Thunder were brought to jail. Glenn actually did get away from the police for a hot minute when he ran into someone's home and demanded a car, money, and a gun. Then he cut off his sweet-ass ponytail and was arrested, like right as soon as he left. So his makeshift disguise did nothing. 
Glenn did tell the police on August 7th, 2000 that Justin and Don were innocent. He was quoted saying, Spirit said I should not let them be in here, which is just, which is just a weird thing to say to the police. And after being unprogrammed by a specialist, uh, Don actually accepted a plea deal and agreed to testify against the brothers and was given 25 to life in prison. Uh, she's still in prison to this day. Glenn pleaded guilty to all charges and was sentenced to death. I don't believe he's been put to death yet. Glenn. <laughs> Wikipedia. Do we have a death date? I just stuck my foot right in my backpack. Now he's still alive. Weird, actually. Justin pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity, claiming he suffered from a delusional disorder. I wasn't specified which one. And after he was found guilty and sentenced to death, Justin Helsner took his own life on April 14th, 2013. And that is the story of the Children of Thunder, which is crazy. I, I'm worried I didn't do it justice enough. I really, I did try to research as much as I can. I was pushed back a whole two days. Typically I start researching for the podcast as soon as the first one drops. So I tried to start researching it um, early Friday, but this time I wasn't able to start researching until Sunday night. So I only got like a day and a half to research for this because I really, I don't want to miss a week yet. I, it's like whenever you go to classes and you're like, ah, oh, I don't want to have to miss a class till I absolutely have to because I'm worried that once I start missing classes, I'll come up with more excuses and miss more classes. Does that make sense? It might not, but I hope it does. But so yeah, that's, that's a story I think it's really interesting, especially because um, a lot of people don't understand the impact that religions can have on people. Of course, I'm not saying that religion's bad. Uh, believe what you want to believe in. That's, everything's fine with that. I'm just saying that Glenn was ignored whenever he had something that was wrong with him. I don't know what he ended up having. It never said if he had, like, if he really, he may have really had bipolar disorder and it was giving him hallucinations from a young age, or he could have had something a lot more serious and that could have spurred on what was happening. But because taking him to figure out what's wrong, his family just decided that he was a prophet, which is not what he needed. He needed support. He needed help. And I know personally, sometimes in my old school, there were times where I needed help like that. I remember back whenever I was younger, I had really bad ADHD and my teacher told me that I was possessed by the devil. And of course she was fired. And I don't blame the school for that. That was just one teacher. It's stuff like that that really just kind of sticks with you because a lot of people in religions see mental illnesses as being a bad thing or being a filthy thing. And I don't, I don't see why that would be because if there's a God, then God wanted us to love each other. God didn't want us to ignore each other's illnesses and ignore what's happening inside of our bodies. And I wish that more religious leaders would take that to heart and to actually care about the mental well-being of the people in their congregation. And that is my post story spiel, I guess. If you're a religious person, let me know. Send me a little tweet or something and let me know how you feel about mental health and religion, because I do think it's a very interesting topic. I would love to learn more about it because I do think there's a lot to digest there. But other than that, here's a good thing. <laughs> oh, actually, my good thing just happened to me today. I got my class canceled for Friday and I'm so excited. I haven't been able to sleep in in like forever. 
and I'm gonna try and sleep in to at least 10. I think that's my plan. So I, I still have work I have to get done, but I'd at least like to sleep in a little bit because I'm very tired, <laughs> but I'm doing good. Uh, like last week, of course, I'm doing things that I love. I'm doing things that I'm really excited about and I'm doing things that are fun. That's, that's why I took time out of my day to come sit in my hot car and record an episode in front of a bunch of people that are walking by to go get dinner. And now I should probably go get my dinner. What should I eat? Make some pasta. I don't have any more pasta. I'll make some rice. Rice sounds good. So yeah, I'm going to go eat some rice. <laughs> I will... Oh. Uh, thank you for joining me on this fifth episode of Up at Night. It really means a lot. Please give my Instagram and Twitter a follow. They're both under It's Not Gravy. Thank you for understanding that I had to push this episode off one day. And I will see you next time I can't sleep. Bye, guys.